<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win best. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison, and we are in fall movie season, and you know what that means? It means there are an overabundance of amazing, or maybe not so amazing, but (laughs) hype-worthy films that are coming out, and we are going to cover as many of them as possible. What that means is that some of them are going to be our Patreon special episodes. So Mm -hmm. if you would like to hear those, you're going to have to go to patreon.com slash talkmovietome and cough up four bucks a month, honey, to listen to that exclusive (laughs) content. Thank you to all of our current Patreon subscribers. We love you. All right. So this week we opted for that extra large popcorn and we are doing a double feature episode. Mm -hmm. And here I am to introduce the first film. It's December 24th in the early 90s. Tomorrow is Christmas Day, and you're on your way to spend the holidays with your family. What could be better? Well, a lot of things if you're Princess <laughs> Diana. Yeah. This is where we begin with Pablo Lorraine Spencer, starring Kristen Stewart as Princess Di. Lorraine is most well-known for directing Jackie back in 2016, and it seems showcasing infamous tragic women over the course of a few tumultuous days in their lives may be his niche. Spencer is an intimate portrait of a woman out of place, a bird in a cage, a bug under a microscope, forced to wear far too many outfits and expected to eat three pounds worth of food, all with a smile on her face. Spencer asks the question, does wearing a crown mean you have to be able to make your body do things you hate? Mm -hmm. First impression, Sinclair. Okay, first impression. The film starting off saying a fable from a true tragedy, I thought, okay, I'm just going to let go of needing to know what's fact and what's fiction. Mm. Mm -hmm. This is a woman who has been scrutinized and interpreted and dissected. So with this film, I I thought I'm just going to sit back and let this be whatever it's going to be. It's very hard to not be swept off your feet when this movie starts because it is really breathtaking when it first begins. And I really like the difference between Diana driving through the countryside and having those shots cut back and forth between the military bringing in all the food so rigidly and formally. It was a mm-hmm. good way to, to kick off a lot of the themes that the, this film explores. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that cool opening sequence was really, really something. Like, I loved it. You know, she's very clearly lost. And you're just kind of like, okay, but like, where's her security detail? That's all I was thinking. But really, at this point, all I was trying to do, honestly, was just trying to really focus on Kristen Stewart and see how much of her I'm seeing here. Mm, yeah. Um, but then, yeah, cutting to those military-looking crates being delivered to that, you know, palatial estate... 
I didn't know that that was going to be food. I was like, what type of event right. are they preparing for that requires <laughs> yeah. all that military weaponry? And then they open the crates and it's food. And I literally cackled out loud in the theater like a lunatic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so intense. So yeah. extra. Yeah. Helen? Yeah. So, I mean, I we all really enjoyed Jackie his film from a few years mm-hmm. ago with Natalie Portman. And it was clear from the trailers that this movie was going to have a similar tone, I think. Um, so right away, I I just was really excited for how moody and beautiful I expected this to be. And then same as you, Edison, I was like immediately eyes on Kristen Stewart. Can she pull this off? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, why don't we start off with storytelling? Mm-hmm. How do we feel mm. about the idea to like just set the entire film in those three days, just in one weekend? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's similar to the the Jackie premise, right? Like it's it's following her over the course of a few days or a few weeks, and I had sort of forgotten that when this movie mm-hmm. began, and then I was reminded, oh right, uh, this is a short time span that this is taking place, and I mean, I like that. I think with a particular story and um infamous person like princess diana there's so many stories to tell that mm-hmm. you can't possibly attempt to like do a biopic of her whole, whole life. life like there's just too mm-hmm. much so yeah why not pick pick a small span of time and and really take an in-depth look at it yeah. so i liked it i like that choice. i think it really only works because she's so famous right and the same thing with mm-hmm. jackie like, we already know Lady Diana's history, or at least enough of it to kind of fill in the blanks. And especially just also right so soon after The Crown, which is one of the most popular shows in the world that's kind of covering this. You know, we know about this Christmas at Sandringham. But I will say, I think if you aren't somehow, if you somehow aren't familiar with Lady Diana or like the royals, you know, you might be a little bit lost in this film particularly at the beginning. Mm. But also, like, let's be real. If that's you, you're probably not watching this movie. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. And there's been so many mediocre biopics that have come Mm. out that just Mm -hmm. seem to follow the same formula. Right. And I do find Pablo Lorraine's style to be really refreshing. I really like Jackie. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that... In the span of three days, this film was able to explore anxiety and duty and Mm, intrusion mm -hmm. and infidelity and a marriage dissolving. And I I found it to be a lot more compelling watching it Mm. be done this way instead of watching a cookie cutter biopic of Diana's life. I also Mm -hmm. don't really think we need any more stories about Princess Diana. I, Mm -hmm. I do find it to be quite exhausting. But mm. at the same time, if there has to be another one that <laughs> focuses on her, I would rather see it be explored in a different way than yeah. be one of the same that, you know, has, has come out before. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting, Sinclair, that you said previously that you, because of that opening statement that this is a fable on a true tragedy, mm-hmm. that you were like, okay, I'm not going to worry about what was fact and what wasn't. And I was sort of the opposite. Mm-hmm. I was so curious to know, okay, how accurate is this? And that was the first thing that I wanted to look up once the movie was over. Yeah. Um, was, okay, what's true, what's not true? Well, it's interesting because I, I didn't actually look it up after. 
Okay. And as much as it is tempting, at the same time, I feel that what was presented to us is a pretty accurate idea already of what that life would be like. I have always known that I would not Mm. like a life like that. And this movie really solidified that for me. But little things like the weighing and the different outfits Mm. that she would have to wear Uh to each meal and the rigidity of the royal family, I already know that to pretty much be true. So the specifics of it didn't bother me that much, not knowing Mm -hmm. if it was fact or fiction. Yeah, and I think beyond those tiny little, those kind of very specific factual details, right? Like these are Mm -hmm. the traditions and things that happen on this Christmas weekend. I don't think this film was in any way trying to give us a quote-unquote like true story. This was Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. entirely seen through the eyes of one person, right? Yeah. Every single moment of this film is through the perspective of Diana. So it is so singular and and kind of paranoid and self-centered, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. else is sort of this base sketch outline of a character, and it's how she sees them. Charles is distant and unloving. The queen is cold and almost inhuman. So Mm -hmm. she, she is an unreliable narrator because of all of the stress that she's under. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that we're meant to interpret what's happening as being fact. It's very clearly w- how she is interpreting mm. the things that are happening to her. Yeah. Right. So in terms of storytelling, I really need to just state the fact that this is a fashion film oh a, in a lot of ways. And I think that it could have put the fashion before the person. But what I Mm. found to be really interesting about this storytelling was that it really weaved the fashion into the storytelling to further the exploration of Diana. And the the fashion actually added depth to the film, which I found to be pretty, pretty great. It showed her struggle with her public persona. It showed how a piece of clothing can remind you of someone you've lost and you Mm. miss terribly. It can show the control that having your clothes dictated to you can have on you psychologically. I I found it really interesting to watch. And also Diana was such a fashion icon that to not have that be one of the focal points would have been really false. So mm. I loved that because fashion was such a big part of her, this film managed to show the different sides that fashion played in her life really well. Right. Yeah. I agree. I loved, I mean, the, there were two sort of <laughs> characters in this movie that weren't actual characters. And I would say fashion was one. And then I, I think the food was a huge mm-hmm. part of oh, this yeah. film as well. And I loved how the movie kept calling back to those things. Yeah, I'm still, <laughs> pardon the pun, I'm still digesting it. I'm still kind of right. <laughs> digesting <laughs> that those themes. And because I actually literally just saw this today. So yes. Um, but it was enamoring, really. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of things that are difficult to digest or you right. might have a hard time digesting, uh, the pearls. Uh, yeah. Sp- specifically, I, I wanted to mention the, the pearls because I, I found it really interesting how you could use um, a piece of fashion or a, a set piece to mean mm. so much. Mm. So these are the pearls that Charles gave Diana, but also gave um, the same necklace to Camilla. Mm -hmm. And that 
her reaction to those pearls ha- had a lot of like powerful moments in the, the film. And I did look up the symbolism of a pearl. Oh, great. <laughs> Give it to us. us. I know. It wouldn't be an episode in season five if I didn't have some <laughs> sort of symbolism. <laughs> so, okay. First of all, Charles, I mean, what, what an asshole. Okay. The symbolism yeah. of the pearls. <laughs> pearls are the ultimate symbol for wisdom. Valued for their calming effects, pearls represent serenity while being able to strengthen valuable relationships and convey a sense of safety. Pearls also symbolize purity as well as Mm. integrity and loyalty. Wow. So isn't that a bit of a bitch? Yeah, real real (laughs) subversion of the uh, pearl meaning there with those. (laughs) That actually segues into something that I appreciated about this film and the storytelling of this film so, so much. And it's that they really, really played with the tones, right? Mm -hmm. Of this film. There's times that genuinely slide into like intensely suspenseful, almost like thriller, specifically that scene when she's at the dinner table with the pearls and you just have no idea what's going to happen, right? Or even right into like horror, when she yeah. visits her abandoned childhood home and that film like ratchets up the suspense, that's an actual like horror sequence. And mm-hmm, it's such yeah. a wildly different tone from any other moment in the f- movie. And yet it somehow fits so seamlessly into the whole, like I thought it was so completely masterful, that element of it. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing I love about that and the mixing up of tone is that it still all fits within her experience her anxiety her depression what it is that she's going through exactly like those are the faces of that experience for her so it doesn't feel out of place it just feels like oh and now this is how this is manifesting for her right Mm -hmm. yes because we are trapped in her mind and it's a real Mm -hmm. manic place to be yeah Mm -hmm. and there's the two personas that they mention in the film there's the person who right. needs to be for everybody. And then there's the person that lives inside of her head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I thought was a really interesting theme as well. Right. This is very meta with Chris and Stewart mm-hmm. playing right. Diana. Right. And obviously we'll get into kind of that when we talk about that performance. But in this film, it's like, is Diana, is this trying to be a portrayal of Diana herself or is she existing as right. a sort of avatar to discuss these themes, right? Yeah, yeah. The layers of meta are are deep, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One aspect that I didn't expect this movie to delve into as much as it did, it was her bulimia. Mm-hmm. Um, I was aware that she was bulimic, um, but I didn't, I didn't know if this movie was going to delve into that, and the extent to which it did i i mean it's very disturbing mm-hmm. and Incredibly. i yeah and i i think that the way they portrayed that was actually very respectful <laughs> to eating disorders and to sort of the mania that surrounds it i actually really enjoyed the way that 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 was done in this movie and and that's a tough thing to portray in a way that i think is true it like it felt true (laughs) well from my perspective that was some was actually really fascinating for me because i've never experienced that personally and Mm -hmm. um so i i felt that i really kind of understood 
you know, from the outside, mm. it's very much like you have no control over yourself. But that's not at all right. how she's experiencing that moment. It, it It's kind of the, like, one thing that she does have control over. That's yes. her yeah, thing. Yes, 100%. Her and that, of her body, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that I found actually really fascinating and, like, clear in this film. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I guess in what I'm saying about it, I'm like, oh, you depicted an eating disorder in the way that it is like to have one, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think. Okay, well, why don't we get into the performances? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, we are, I mean, we're all just jumping at the bit, right? Like, really, like, the right. performance. And, I, right. like, this is, a, in my opinion... And I feel like we'll all be on the same page here. I think this is an absolute career-defining moment and performance for Kristen Stewart. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. this is going to mark... I feel like she had her Twilight moment and, you know, right. all of that mega stardom and all of that. And then she spent the last few years trying to kind of find these this balance between, like, smaller films and, like, kind of bigger, you know, Charlie's Angels or whatever type movies... And then mm. this is the first time that I have ever seen Kristen Stewart actually disappear into a character. I felt like mm. she was fully enveloped by Diana. And I was completely blown away by this performance. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I the whole time was trying to decide how I felt about it because I really did like it and I really could not stop watching her. But at the same time, I was like, am I just impressed by this because it feels like it's so different from what I from her normally? Like, is does that make it impressive? I don't know. But but then at the same time, I also felt like. I think that Kristen Stewart can relate in some sense to Princess Diana. And in that case, I sort of love that they're kind of melded together in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What did you think, Sinclair? Well, I just think she's interesting. I think her career is really interesting. She has two very different career personas as well. She has this mm. like edgy American persona, and right. then she also has this classy European persona. I mean, yeah, yeah, true. This is, yeah. this is the, an actress who won a Caesar for Clouds of Sils Maria. Mm-hmm. You know, she is a bit of an a tour's muse. But yeah. at the same time is doing these edgier American films as well. Like they're, I mean, she played uh, Gene Seberg yeah. recently mm. in a yeah. film, right. which is the epitome of kind of like elegance and style and French new mm. wave. It's interesting, you know, the, the back and forth between these, these different uh, career personas when I first heard she was playing Princess Diana, I was kind of like, um, okay. But, I think that was most people's reaction. <laughs> oh, I yeah. was very much like, what? No. Well, just yeah. because I, I, you get a little bit exhausted by the celebrity of it all, mm-hmm. I find, and it's hard to separate. But I, mm-hmm. I also do feel like there are really great parallels between her and Diana. Yeah. There's a very anxious side of Kristen yeah. Stewart. I have trouble listening to her in interviews. It makes me feel right. anxious. Uh, this... Yeah battle with do I want to be a celebrity or not and there's an outsider quality to both of them and if you Mm -hmm. think about an American playing Princess Diana it kind of makes sense that an outsider is playing an outsider Mm. 
<laughs> in a weird way. Yeah, that's interesting. So there's a lot of things that worked about this. I enjoyed watching the performance. I was moved by a lot of moments in the film and, mm. and by the performance. But I, I did have a hard time not seeing Kristen Stewart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's sure. really interesting for me. I what that's exa- that's how I was anticipating feeling when I saw this, right? And it, I I can't describe to you how f- far I actually felt from that while watching it. Mm-hmm. I I thought she was I thought it was like an astonishing performance. Genuinely, mm-hmm. I thought she was haunting and manic and fragile and unpredictable and playful and scary and tormented. Like she gave us the whole fucking gamut of emotional arc. And everything in this, while also I, it's to my ears. Now I am not British, and I'm sure that there are British critics who are gonna, you know, have something to say about her accent. But to me, right. she sounded like Diana, and her physicality, mm-hmm. the way she held her yeah. shoulders, even her gait, her walk, like, yeah, all of it. I just thought was like impeccable. It's the best I've ever ever seen Kristen Stewart ever. Okay, do we want to get into some technical aspects? Hell yeah. Okay, so cinematography was by Claire Maton, who also did the cinematography for Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm-hmm. And Stranger um, by the Lake. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yes. nice. And the cinematography in this movie is absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. Yes. Like uh, I thought it was... Uh, <laughs> it was literally... Yeah, she is a master of mixing these like lush shots these long languorous fluid shots and then in coming in with this like kind of handheld close-up moment that brings you right into the person uh, it those other films like portrait of a lady on fire yeah one of the most beautiful films any of us mm-hmm. have ever seen stranger mm-hmm. by the lake also just absolutely stunning to look at the lighting the color grading in this film and the lighting as well like mm. it's all just so impeccable and masterful yeah. it's like mm-hmm. yeah sometimes you can take a whole lot of really really talented skillful people and put them all together and you get a pile of shit it does right. happen but sometimes <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it doesn't sometimes everybody from the score to the cinematography to the writing to the whatever all carries their mm-hmm. weight and you end up with this really like technically kind of flawless film in my opinion yeah yeah, yeah. everything looked like a postcard to me a beautiful serene postcard of the Mm -hmm. english countryside uh there's one shot in particular that i want to point out because i i just thought it was i couldn't believe how it was framed it's it's when kristen stewart is speaking to sally hawkins in front of the mirror and it's shot from behind them but the way that the mirror is angled you see each of their faces in different reflections Mm -hmm. it's incredible like watching that scene i was just like this is the epitome of incredible cinematography and directing. Yeah. And then when but it that, pops what, what, into yeah. her in her old house and it's like dark and mm. it's like really high haunting, contrast yeah. and haunting mm. and like scary. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just yeah. brilliant. Yeah, mm. it was just so beautiful to look at. <laughs> yeah, and the, the set decoration... Oh my god! The, the production design—it was just yeah, it, it was just insane. There was that beautiful shot of the, the room when it's decorated for Christmas. Oh yeah, uh, uh, my jaw dropped. I know. 
Well, I'm just like, I don't get it. Like, I know that the royals didn't let them shoot at Sandringham Estate. You know what I mean? Right. So, but, so like, but like, how did they make this? It's Replicate so beautiful. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, the, the interesting thing is that as beautiful as it all is, it felt completely suffocating as well. Yes. It felt like these boys, you know, are there for Christmas and... Can you imagine just being in a room and feeling like you can't wrinkle one thing or touch mm-hmm. one thing? Like there was a suffocating, totally rigid quality to the set as well that I found really fascinating. I'd, yeah, be, af- I felt I'd like... be afraid to touch anything. I totally did not feel that. I felt that from her perspective, but I was like, mm-hmm. God, this place would be heaven to be those young boys. You just run around. <laughs> Everything looks so soft and cozy. I just wanted to flop on all those couches. I yeah see it's the same it's the same feeling I get if I walk if I'm in a like really rich person's house and Mm. I just don't want to move right yeah but I'm also not a rich person though I am I'm not either but I always felt like I was and so (laughs) (laughs) you're just a bull in a china shop yeah yeah (laughs) okay and then score The score was so good by Johnny Greenwood, who is the lead guitarist and keyboardist for Radiohead. Yes, and it's done Um, a ton of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was so wonderful. Yeah. He also composed Phantom Thread, right? And so it's funny, Sinclair, when you were talking earlier about like the fashion being such a character in this film, the score was also such a character in this film. Mm. And he scored that other film that's literally about fashion as a character too. Mm. So I just thought that was really interesting. There were, I will be honest, there were a couple of times where the score felt a little on the nose, where it was just a little too kind of jazzy manic. Mm. Well, when she was going in an episode. Yes, there was a very manic trumpet that was stressing (laughs) me out. Yeah. And it was very like when she was in her moment. Moment. like it would suddenly mm. come on but but like oh, that's the tiniest tiniest little nitpick like honestly i found the score to be super effective and like really really great yeah all right uh so what is the last word on spencer sinclair yeah i really enjoyed spencer i think it's a beautifully crafted film it's an interesting and refreshing and impactful interpretation of a woman and a legacy that's been done and explored dozens of times <laughs> Mm-hmm. worth the watch mm-hmm. for me I think this is the best performance of the year so far in my opinion which I mm-hmm. was not expecting to say <laughs> from Kristen yeah. Stewart um, I think she's an absolute lock for an Oscar nomination she very well might take home the gold I thought this movie was breathtakingly gorgeous um, haunting claustrophobic this really really like impeccable mixture of tones i thought it was so much better than i was expecting and i loved it and i am desperate for pablo lorraine to direct a whitney film <laughs> Ooh, oh that would be so good yeah i know yeah i definitely want to see this movie again i think it is a stunning and atmospheric and beautiful piece of art like this is one of those movies that is it is a piece of art and it's something to marvel at. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of Marvel. Speaking of Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> the second film on today's double feature episode was actually featured on our 2020 Most Anticipated Movies of the Year episode. 
This was my number one most anticipated film last year. <laughs> Do you remember that, listeners? No, of I course remember. not. <laughs> you remember? Yes, this was your number one pick. Sinclair remembers everything. <laughs> I know, honest to God, Jesus. Anyway, the movie I'm speaking of is Eternals, directed by Chloe Zhao and starring a huge ensemble cast featuring Gemma Chan, Angelina Jolie, Sama Hayek, Richard Madden, Kumail Nanjiani, Kit Harrington, Brian Tyree Henry, Barry Keegan, alongside some evil alien beasts and some enormous cosmic entities whose plan for the universe is pretty sus. Eternals is the 26th film in the eternally prolific Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it tells the story of the Eternals, 10 immortal heroes sent to Earth 7,000 years ago by the celestial being Ereshem on a mission to cleanse the Earth of the evil deviants. Over the millennia, they witness and influence much of humanity's societal evolution, all the wondrous things we've accomplished, and also all the horrors and atrocities. Despite their superpowers, the Eternals were forbidden from directly interfering with human affairs, other than to protect humanity from the Deviants. So, when the last of the Deviants is killed off about 500 years ago, the Eternals have naught to do but wait for further instructions from Ereshem. So they basically go their separate ways and live <laughs> their lives for half a millennia. Cut to the present, about eight months after the events of Avengers Endgame, and the Eternals discover that the Deviants have returned to Earth, and so they have to gather the old crew together again to defeat them. However, in doing so, they learn the true nature of their existence and purpose for being sent to our planet, and then must fight to change that. First impression, Helen. Okay, so I saw Spencer and Eternals today both. That's a True lot. double mm. feature. Yeah. Um, I saw Spencer first, and then Eternals after that. And so I sat down for Eternals, and I was like, here we go. Two and a half hours of something I'm not going to like. <laughs> <laughs> and? Yeah, I hated it. Like, I wanted uh, to walk out. But okay. <laughs> carry on. Okay. Carry on, carry on. <laughs> Sinclair, what was your first impression? First okay. impression. First impression. First impression for me really was, look, I was not looking forward to this at all. If it wasn't for the podcast, I would not have seen this movie. Same. However, I went in deciding I was not going to be a big spoil sport. Mm. And I got comfortable with my theater seat in the back corner of the theater. I had a lovely day off work. I was in a good mood. And I was not going to be a spoil sport. I was going to watch this okay. damn movie. And I was going to convince myself that I liked it. Okay. Okay? Wow. Okay, nice. So All the right. film opens up. And here comes some mythological backstory. Okay, that's mm -hmm, fine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But honestly, all I was thinking at that point was <laughs> if Angelina Jolie has some bad, weird, fake accent in this, I'm going to lose my mm. shit. Truly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about you, Edison? Well, so Eternals, yeah, it opens with this sort of Star Wars-esque scrolling text moment, kind of basically explaining mm. the whole, you know, Ereshim creating them, etc. Cuts to 5000 BC in ancient Mesopotamia. The Eternals are arriving in their giant, like, boomerang-looking ship 
we're opening the film with this big action sequence where they're fighting deviants. And I actually thought it looked pretty good at this point. I was like super excited for the movie still. I don't know mm. what y'all were on about. I like love Chloe Zhao. I love the MCU. I love all the actors in this from the trailer. It could have gone either way, but I was very hopeful and optimistic. So mm. I was very much looking forward to this movie. Mm. That's good, mm-hmm. Edison. We need your your voice and mm-hmm. this trio. I yeah. was very much looking forward to this. Movie. Okay, <laughs> yeah. fair. You had you had some optimism. Uh, um, so hey, I went in get, with optimism it, too. I did. I'm telling true. you. True. I I didn't, but I also <laughs> had Sinclair basically telling me I was going to hate it before I saw it. So that didn't yes. help. She literally called it trash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's jump in and talk about the storytelling. Okay, there's a few things here that I think didn't work in terms of storytelling. Mm -hmm. One being there were a lot of characters in this and Mm -hmm. just not enough time. Mm -hmm. With the Avengers, Mm -hmm. with those movies, those characters were introduced to us over the course of a decade with multiple movies so this felt like a lot was being introduced to us really fast and kind of just brushed over to the point where I didn't really feel connected to any of the characters or even necessarily care about them um right the absolute spectacular comedy in you saying that it was (laughs) It felt like it was introduced to us really fast while somehow also taking longer than any other film I've ever seen in my life introduce <laughs> characters. <laughs> Maybe I mean more brushed over. It, they were I know, I know, I know exactly what you yeah. mean. You're without right. the depth that more exploration could have given mm-hmm. us, like real exploration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought storytelling wise, this film was an absolute and utter disaster. I was so disappointed, wildly disappointed. Mm -hmm. I feel like my issues are basically like threefold. One, Mm -hmm. the Eternals themselves are kind of impotent as characters. Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, I mean, as they exist in the MCU. So you have to find a new way to introduce those characters. And what I mean by that is they've basically been here for like 7,000 years, right? This is the characters. Right. And yet now they're existing in a world that has Iron Man and Thor and the Mm. X-Men and all of these other, you know, superhuman Mm. like creatures and that are actually much more powerful than them. So their whole purpose of like protecting the earth from deviants is like a little, so what? When, you know, think of the catastrophes that we've experienced in the other 26, 25 MCU films, right? What the fuck yeah. is a deviant when like Thanos just snaps out <laughs> half the universe? Well, mm-hmm. that that's the thing is I honestly felt like I was sitting there going, why did they not just make this a separate story? It, mm. Existing in all these other universes with all these other superheroes and characters and Thanos and all, it was all just too much. Yeah, It was pushing me to, to believe too much. Mm-hmm. I was very confused at the beginning because just with their purpose, I was thinking, okay, so they are being sent to the earth to keep the intelligent life alive Mm -hmm. and protect the 
human beings from the apex predator who is technically the deviants coming in but then there's this theme of natural selection which i thought okay well mm. isn't the deviants coming in just natural selection as, as well so <laughs> i was getting a bit confused with what the point of that was and then it went to this other idea of okay now suddenly the deviants are this experiment gone wrong and we need right, to have yeah. the intelligent life to basically have the population be at a certain number to create these celestial beings and this here's the thing is i love exploring different ideas of of, of the mysteries of the universe i love all that mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. at that point i kind of thought to myself you know what marvel i'm out i'm out yeah it, this so, this is too this is too far. If I want to watch a movie about human beings being used as some sort of fucked up batteries, I'll watch The Matrix because it's better. <laughs> like yeah. I was just out. <laughs> For me, I mean, I, I think everybody knows it's, this is not my genre. I'm not really a superhero movie person. There are some that I have liked, but widely, like I didn't see Endgame. I the, I just it's not my thing. I, I did go into this, you know, knowing it's directed by Chloe Zhao. I mean, I did say I thought I was going to hate it right off the bat. But knowing it's directed by Chloe Zhao. And, and I did try to like, okay, I'm really going to try to understand this. Like, I'm going to try to get a handle on what's happening here. And the way that this story was structured with like telling us all this backstory about the Eternals and going back and forth in time, I found to be incredibly disjointed and so not and entertaining to follow mm -hmm. um and like this movie was 90 percent exposition right yeah. so that's the thing is there the, <laughs> the, the there's a big theme in this film that the the eternals want to save humans and protect them but there's barely any real interaction with human beings in this whole film so everything is kind of just said to us and not shown yeah no you're right and i think that calls into the bigger so point two so my issue one, <laughs> the Eternals themselves yeah. are characters that needed to be reimagined if they were going to work okay. yes. in, it, in yeah. a universe where all of these other characters already exist, right? Mm -hmm. Two, th this film is not does not feel like it's part of the MCU at all. For no. every little moment that they mentioned, you know, they maybe mentioned like, uh, Kit Harrington says to Gemma Chan at one point, like, oh, you're a wizard like Doctor Strange. Like, there were a oh, couple I little know. offhand things so like that. Cringe. But that, that is not enough. They actually didn't yeah. answer any of the real questions. And because they didn't, it didn't reveal anything about who these characters actually are. So, for mm -hmm. example, mm. we're in a world where New York was invaded by aliens. That was in Avengers, yeah. right? We're in a world mm. where Thanos snapped half of the population into oblivion. So where mm. were they then, and how did they interact with that? What happened to them? How did they interact with right. humans? They, they have been living for 500 years without purpose, essentially. So they've just yeah. been living their lives. They must have formed relationships. That One of them has a family, uh -huh. the gay relationship in this. Maybe they have yeah. friends. You can't just exist as an island. Yeah. They had friends. They had lovers. They would have had all of these. Yeah. Did they disappear? in the snap right. like where was the where was any of that and so because we got no real sense of character other than them trying to cover seven thousand years of weird history in these flashbacks <laughs> it gave it actually not a single one of these eternals was a real character in any capacity yes. they were all one note no. and it was melancholy well and you know i got to a point in this movie where i was like why do i care 
You don't. Why do I care about anyone? And, and I did it. That was the thing. I was like, I don't care what happens to anybody in this movie. Like, if we had not have been doing this for the podcast, I would have left the theater. I know, me well, too. Well, I wouldn't have gone in the first place, but I would have left. Like, I wanted to walk out. I but this is the thing. You, we should have been able to care. That's the. This yeah. is a real mm-hmm. issue. We didn't care because none mm-hmm. of the stakes were real. I'm sorry. When when it's mm-hmm. when they finally discover that a fucking celestial being is about to come birth from the center of the earth and the entire world <laughs> yeah. is going to explode, I think that that's like pretty high stakes. You know, like maybe yeah. you might care, right? Everybody in this was just kind of like, eh. Like we had Kumail's valet camera guy right. recording everything. He was like, oh, I guess. Well, I'll just go back home with you. Like, no, dude, don't you have a family? Like, where there was no humanity, there was no, <laughs> there was no giving humanity. a <laughs> No, at okay. All. So this is what I find interesting because I think Chloe Zhao is a really interesting choice for this. And hmm. at first, we were kind of like, oh, okay, uh, this could be good or bad. Fine, right? Is this a good match? But if you think about it, there are a lot of things about her style of filmmaking that I think could have really worked for this and sadly it didn't it was not there it wasn't there she's really really great with stories that have a very vast setting Mm. very open and Mm -hmm. endless landscapes and she manages to ground themes and characters with those very large landscapes and that's what should have happened here but it didn't this is a very Mm. vast universe it's mixed with um, a ton of different characters and her style of filmmaking should have been able to show connection and emotion right. and ground <laughs> these characters, whether they're Eternals or, or not. That's what she does. Mm-hmm. She she makes you feel intimate with mm-hmm. these people and she's so great with connection and none of that was in this film. So I don't mm-hmm. exactly know why they had her direct it. <laughs> Okay, and so, yes, like, I think you're right, Sinclair, but with Chloe Zhao in the past, she's been able to anchor a very specifically focused singular protagonist story, right, right? Mm-hmm. in the vast landscapes and all of this. She was overwhelmed mm-hmm. by the the scale and scope that was trying to be covered in this film, right? Yeah, yeah. One thing I will say, like, I was very curious about how the kind of action sequences would come out. And we can talk about the technical elements of that when we get to that. But what I want to say is my third issue (laughs) with this film (laughs) from a storytelling perspective is that the action scenes served exactly zero purpose. What Mm. the hell is the point of the deviants? No, like literally, what is the point of them? They are mm. just plot filler to give some type of action sequence. Well, I guess they developed their own consciousness. They developed their own consciousness. Okay, but what's the point, point of that in the storyline? <laughs> what is the point of that in the storyline? They tease this it... whole story, Sinclair, of like, yes, one of the deviants evolves, gets some <laughs> you know evolved? story development. He gets he steals their powers, maybe has a consciousness. Right. And then what? Literally what? <laughs> the, there's the moment when he starts to fight Icarus at the end and you're about to see like, oh, there is no villain and everyone, they're on the side maybe, but no, it's just like then they start fighting him and that's it. His story's over. None of that was actually relevant to the story remotely. Mm-hmm. The only thing that was the actual point was, yeah, oh, right. they had to stop the Celestial from being born. The fucking deviants had literally nothing to do with anything except to give the characters something to fight because it's a superhero movie. Yeah, and I that's hated actually that. so true. I just, I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah. 
I also just can't believe that they used a, a Hiroshima in one of the mm. scenes. I, there was a yeah. moment when I texted Edison while the movie was going on, of course. I was like, You also you... were texting me during the movie. I was texting you too. But I, I, I said to him, I cannot believe they're using Hiroshima right mm. now. As like a plot that, device? As a plot device. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah. It just felt that, really oh, yeah. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were just trying to like show all these different types of moments of like crazy human history that where they were at. But here's the thing. We didn't actually need any of that. This film was two no. hours and a half, two and a half hours long. And literally the first two hours was gathering the team. I will tell you Armageddon did yep. it in about six <laughs> minutes and did it better. We didn't need <laughs> any of that. No. One of the things that I was really excited about with this film was that we had been promised the first openly gay major, you know, character in the MCU, right? And we had Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos, one of the Eternals, and he is gay and he's got a husband and a Mm -hmm. kid. And that was actually really lovely. And I appreciated that they included this. It's Mm. the type of thing that like for example we had that one little scene in Avengers Endgame but it was just the tiniest little moment that they could just very easily cut in order to be released all around the world right Mm. Um, but this film that character was an integral part and his relationship was part of that right now with that being said this film is not being released in Saudi Arabia Kuwait, Qatar, Bahrain, Oman right Mm. maybe not China yet there's still all kinds Mm -hmm. of places around the world and I'm proud of Marvel for refusing to cut the scenes mm-hmm. in that sense. And I'm glad that they're, st- you know, s- standing for that. And we got a gay kiss from an actual superhero in uh, a Marvel film, you know? So I did yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One last little thing that I do appreciate about this film is that it, it this basically feels like the first 15 minutes of like what the Eternals film should have been so I appreciate at least that we mm. are being set up for something like this has definitely expanded the MCU it has introduced us to different uh, what, types uh, of uh, celestial expanded? things expanded it's how many, it's been <laughs> expanded it's <laughs> I'm just exhausted I'm exhausted <laughs> Ah, like it well, needs to be more expanded. Thank does. God it's expanded. This one, <laughs> this one, this could not get. I did not think this could be expanded anymore. But yeah, surprise! This, at this point, we're literally blowing the Earth up from the inside out to create more characters. <laughs> no. no, I. It has <laughs> gone so celestial and cosmic at this point. Oh I my mean, God! But I am uh, living for that. I love that. I'm so excited. And now we've got the new Spider-Man film that delves into the multiverse and then the Doctor Strange too. So I think like it we're about in phase four Marvel is gonna get real funky and I like that this is kind of leading us there. Let's talk about performances. Oh okay, well I mean we haven't mentioned this yet because what is there to mention really? Angelina Jolie is in this, but uh uh, what does she and do? She, and she did have a weird accent. <laughs> of course she did. She had a weird accent, but I just Was it supposed understand. to be Greek? Like, I... I that's all, all good questions. I'm not sure. 
because at uh, some points it felt just American and then other times it felt British and then I'm like oh but she is Greek right or like well but I guess she's not because she's not a I was totally person. unbothered by this Sinclair you were texting me all outraged about the <laughs> accents I was unbothered but these are beings who have lived here for 7,000 years they can have whatever Jesus accent they want <laughs> I know I feel like that Fair. you're right that's not the worst problem the worst problem is where was Angelina Jolie where was she <laughs> hiding hiding in the desert to keep her rage at bay what? she was what? there Where she was looked she, amazing Edison? the little moments when she was fighting looked cool but they just again mm-hmm. there was no zero character development for any of them she was no. there the character wasn't written for her to play though there was nothing there for her to play why why I, have her in this to do like just nothing with why her? have literally anyone in this movie um i did like her with a blonde wig though i think she looks oh, good she as looked a beautiful she yeah. I believe so her as some sort of e- eternal being. A hundred percent. Totally. Yeah, fair. I did too. Um, <laughs> I, I like mm-hmm. too how he made them so they were they could blend into society, yet one of them <laughs> is Angelina Jolie. <laughs> 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 it's like that logic is just thrown out the window. Yeah. <laughs> you make a little kid and then Angelina Jolie. Like, okay, go blend. <laughs> Like Fina, Fina, you know, your, your local librarian. Yeah. (laughs) I can't. I have one good thing to say about this movie. I like that they cast uh, Lauren Ridloff as Makari because she's a deaf actress and her character was deaf, I mean, and I appreciated she was that. Barely in it, and her, oh, I didn't even know what her character name was. I had to look it up. I had no idea what her name cute was. Cute little relationship with um, Barry Keegan. Yeah, where their yeah. little punk rock, uh, cute flirtation. That was at yeah. the end. And I was like, where has this been this whole yeah. film? Like, I, I could watch this. The only real chemistry in this whole film. It was like right. just a couple <laughs> seconds at the end, and I'm like, where yeah. is this cute little couple? Yeah. Um, but I did appreciate that casting. Do we have any technical things we want to talk about? Yes. I thought this yes. movie looked really bad. Oh, really? The okay. CGI. The CGI. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? The deviants, particularly. Yes. Oh, well. I, I kind of okay. like the deviants. I have to tell you, the deviants, I actually really appreciate it because you're probably not familiar with what the deviants look like in the comics, Sinclair. The deviants mm. in the comics are like bright green kind of alien troll frog looking things. If they were to kind of try and portray them in this film anywhere close to that, it would have been totally comical, which actually the film might have benefited from now that I think about I, it. I was but... just thinking like green frog type. That sounds kind of interesting, actually. Yeah, you're right. Actually, it might have been <laughs> I just found they were pretty, the deviants were pretty generic CGI looking. I didn't, you know, maybe some sort of green frog demons would have added a little bit of uh, spice to this. There actually was something that I'm, that I'm actually kind of proud of. I have to, I have to just say. Um, mm-hmm. In this film, as I was like, you know, the score, there was a, a moment where it was like, kind of like maybe religious choral singing in the score it it, it just and this like boom, boom 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 like thing in the back and i thought this reminds me of game of thrones and i was like edison it's just because you're looking at kid harrington and fucking rob Stark. <laughs> um but no then i looked it up and it was actually raman jawadi who did the score for this who also did for game of thrones and i was like yeah oh wow yeah. good for you good for me exactly um, good for That's- you Okay, what is the last word on the Eternals? 
Yeah, I hated this movie. Um, it was such a waste of my time. It, I mean, it's fun to talk about with you guys, but I was an hour and a half in and I went to the bathroom. I'm like, oh my God, I still have another fucking hour of this movie. And I, like I said, I would have left if I didn't have to watch it for the podcast. Mm-hmm. That's my last word. <laughs> Sinclair? Honestly, the universe is so... <laughs> fucking infinite and the possibilities are endless and this is never gonna end these movies are (laughs) never ever going to end (laughs) it is infinite it can never end oh my god i love that (laughs) i'm exhausted (laughs) So the last word for me is that I found this film really disappointing. I thought that Mm -hmm. it was a real missed opportunity. I was very excited for this. I was, I'm a big nerd. I want to get on board Mm -hmm. with everything that Marvel is doing. And I'm so excited for it to expand into the universe. I thought that they could have told this story in a much better way and actually made these characters compelling. I will go and watch the, the eternal sequel um, when it comes out, I hope that <laughs> to Claire, I can't. I I hope that it will, you know, that they'll take some notes f- from the negative feedback they're receiving from this film. Yeah, I think it's probably the most disappointing experience I've had in the MCU so far. If I'm honest. Damn. Yeah. Hmm. Eternals two, even more eternal. <laughs> Eternally yours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Our website is talkmovietomepodcast.com. And if you're not already a Patreon member, please become one. Patreon.com slash talkmovietome. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>